Hi, everyone, and welcome to this episode of Coogee Voice. Today, we're talking with Brenton McHatton, better known in the community as BJ from Little Jack Horner. BJ shares his experiences of operating a business during COVID-19, his thoughts on activating Coogee Beach, as well as what he and his wife, Brooke, have been doing for the community during the bushfires, COVID-19, and for the Sydney Children's Hospital Foundation. You're listening to Coogee Voice. The lockout laws impacted massively on the Coogee Bay. You know, they used to have queues all night. You know, they'd stay open at 5am and all of a sudden they couldn't let people in after certain hours. So that impacts everywhere. So when people decide where we're going to go out tonight, oh, we don't get a Coogee because you can't get in after 1am. After yeah, we, we got so much stuff and so much community support. People from the community came and spent days with us. You know, there's some amazing people that helped out and they're an amazing community as well. So yeah, so the regulations are costly and also impact on the business as well. They don't, they don't look at it on a case-by-case basis. I mean, if you come and stand down at Coogee, you can really, you know exactly where my venue is and you know that it doesn't impact it well because I don't have residents. If you threw some residents at me, imagine what, I'd have to, what hoops I'd have to jump through there. BJ, welcome to Coogee Voice. How are you going today? Well, amazing. Thank you for inviting me. Now, before we get into this conversation, you're born and bred Eastern Suburbs. What do you love most about living in God's country? Uh, well, <laughs> God's country being Bronte, of course. Yeah, I grew up in Bronte. I actually was born in Clovelly and I moved to Bronte. What do I love about it? It's just the best. You know? like I, I feel, even though I'm not a huge beach person, I mean, I go to the beach all the time with the kids and we're always around the surfing and and I'm sitting here looking at Coogee now, and it's just, I just love the, I love knowing the water's right there. It just gives me a sense of direction, a sense of peace. It just, yeah, it's just, it's the best place in the world. You know, I've travelled the world, lived overseas for, for you know, extended periods, and there's nothing like, it's in suburbs, there's nothing like coming home. I couldn't agree more. Now, Little Jack Horner is in Coogee. Why Coogee? Well, like I said, I grew up in Clovelly and Bronte, and when we reached, I don't know, 14, 15, 16, you went out either Bondi or Coogee, and we did, sort of did both. You know, I grew up in the, in the days of the Ramwick Rugby Club, Rum Jungle, Dolphin Street, the Coogee Palace, with the Palachi, as we call it. Yeah, so I grew up in those days. So, you know, we did that, uh, and even um, dollar drinks up at the Crown Plaza, you know, so Archie's, all the, you know, players at the junction, so all those days, you know. So we spent a lot of time through those later teenage years and early 20s at Coogee. And I think it's kind of that thing, you're either Bondi or it's Coogee. Now, Bondi is kind of its own bubble and people in Bondi stay in bubble, Bondi and don't really go out past Bondi Road very often and, and then there's the rest of the eastern suburbs. So Coogee's kind of that place for everywhere else and yeah, it's kind of my groove. Not, I'm not really a Bondi person, so Coogee's my place. Not that there's anything wrong with Bondi, of course. Bondi's a great place. It's just Bondi. Little Jack Corner has been open since 2014. Tell us a little bit about it. How did it come to be? So I had Sauce Bar and Grill for years. I went there for nine years. I was a steak and rib restaurant just around the corner. And um, that was a lot of fun. I loved it. But when the opportunity came up to be on the beach, you know, again, that affiliation with the beach that we've got, it was just too good to, you know, I did everything I could to get that place. And when we had Sauce, we always wanted live music. And, I, and I've just, I've always been in pubs 
I worked for Maryvale for five and a half years back in the early 2000s. So I love the pub vibe. And we kind of, the, the whole restaurant industry, I think, changes all the time. And you go to some restaurants overseas, you know, you go to Las Vegas, and you go to a steak restaurant in Las Vegas where you're paying $300 for a steak, and they've got a DJ banging out beach, you know what I mean? And, and there's nothing sort of Sydney scene is always a little bit behind America. So the opportunity there was that we could have a you know, cafe in the morning, a restaurant for lunch and dinner, and then live music from nine o'clock onwards. So it's, and I think it's, it suits the area. It's what the area wants as well. It's, a, it's kind of like a beach bar restaurant on the beach that you'll find anywhere else in the world. And that's where we got our inspiration from. So um, most of the, everything that was in there was built in Bali, the furniture, the, the, the tiles on the walls, the bar tops, the, everything was built in Bali and we brought it over and assembled it here. So, yeah, when we designed it, um, and my wife did most of the designing, you know, we didn't get interior designs or anything. It was all, all her ideas. Um, we, and we did a couple of trips to Bali and we found different pieces and put it together. And um, it was just, yeah, we wanted that beach bar feeling, you know, where it's a restaurant on the beach in Coogee. You know, could you deserve something like that? Something a bit, a bit of fun. And um, when we built it, it was, it was basically only the Coogee Bay because the pavilion wasn't open. Um, but even so, they all kind of catered to different markets. You know, the Coogee Bay is Coogee Bay, the pavilion's the pavilion. And we kind of get a my age. You know, I'm mid forties, and that's generally our clientele most of the time until the late on music. But even when we have music on from nine till midnight we still get my age in there, you know, both men and women. And so it's a, it's a, it's, it all caters to a different demographic in Coogee. So one of the things you've touched on there is around live music, um, legislation around live music restrictions as well as lockout laws. It's something that's quite contentious and constantly going uh, through parliament, through the media. How have these laws and restrictions impacted your business? Oh, look, they all impact us. Coogee's, I mean, Coogee as a whole, like, like I said, I've been here my whole life and Coogee goes through the waves and the ebbs and the flows. When I was a kid, Coogee was full every Friday, Saturday, Sunday night. There was just people everywhere and it was a fun place to be. Yeah, there was a bit of trouble here and there. You know, like we had those couple of deaths, but they were isolated incidences. That wasn't the norm, you know. You could go out in Coogee safely and have a good time. Laws changed and pushed all that stuff away. That impacts every business, you know. Even when I had source. We would guarantee that we knew every Friday, Saturday, Sunday was going to be busy. And then all of a sudden, you know, a couple of incidents happened and, and it pushed everybody out of the area. And then, you know, so then it starts to slowly build up again. So it always goes in those edge of flows. The lockout laws impacted massively on the Coogee Bay. You know, they used to have queues all night. You know, they'd say up until 5 a.m. Then all of a sudden they couldn't let people in after certain hours. So that impacts everywhere. So when people decide where we're going to go out tonight, oh, we don't get a Coogee because you can't get in after after 1am, you know, things like when the, that was when the Coogee Bay had their restrictions on them. That impacts on everybody else in the area as well. It impacts on um, whether other restaurants want to come to the area, uh, you know, other operators, when they look at an area and they go, oh, do we want to open a restaurant there? Why would we? Because it's dead. So it all impacts, um, even though not, not directly on my business, it has a, a flow-on effect to my business. So, yeah, it all, it all impacts it. So it's been a bit of a rough start to 2020. We've had the bushfires, we've had COVID-19. Now, on one hand, I know that this has directly impacted your business. You've had to shut down. However, you and your businesses have been amazing in terms of helping different aspects of our community. For those people who don't know, can you please just share a bit of the work that you've been doing during the bushfires and also during COVID-19? 
Yeah, yeah, look, it has been a rough start. For me personally, I look, I'm a positive person, so I look at it as, as it's been a great opportunity to start the year in a different way. I know there's a lot of people that have been really badly impacted and, and my heart goes out to them. But personally, you know, we've seen it as a really good opportunity um, to, even as a family, you know, like starting at the coronavirus, I've, I've just spent two months with my family. You know, we've been at home, we've been homeschooling. Like that's an opportunity that I won't ever get again to spend such such good time with my family. So um, even though the business has been closed and that's hurt us financially and, and also, I don't, again, I don't feel the stress, but all my workers have all had to be not earning income. So they've had some real stresses. So that's been really bad. But, you know, great opportunity for me and my family. As far as what we've done with the uh, the bushfires at the start of the year, that was when we were uh, we, we had uh, Jack Stein at the beach club. My wife actually started it. She, we, we've got a caravan down the south coast of Bendelong, so we've got a real affiliation with the area down there. And my wife just felt the need to really do something for all the people down there, such beautiful people, such beautiful places. And when they were damaged by the bushfires and, and you know, the, the word went out that they needed water, they needed food, they needed whatever they could get their hands on, we, um, because we were at the beach club and we had a big outdoor area, we decided to, to get people to do some donations. And I think it started on the, uh, the Friday morning. And then um, by that afternoon, it kind of just steamrolled. And by the Friday afternoon, we'd packed up half a big, huge truck that took the first load of stuff down. But yeah, like I said, it was, that was all my wife. You know, she just decided to do it, put a post on Facebook, and it just got shared like thousands of times. And people just kept coming. And then it started off with about myself and my wife, and then maybe four other people that just decided to help. They came down and saw us under the pump, so they just jumped in and started helping us box stuff. And then the next day, it just went mad. You know, the people just came from everywhere, and we ended up sending down another big full truck. And then a couple of other local guys brought their own little sort of tip trucks and filled their tip trucks and took that down as well. And then um, we had to hire a ute and take that down as well. So, yeah, we, we got so much stuff and so much community support. People from the community came and spent days with us. You know, there's some amazing people that helped out and yeah, amazing community as well. It was good to be able to give back to our other community and it was amazing to see the community come together. So, again, this is not just us. Like we've got a commercial kitchen, so it's an opportunity for us to be able to help out. And we were expecting the Armageddon to come that, that New York faced where the nurses and the doctors had to move out of their homes and live in hotels because they were, they were working with coronavirus victims and they didn't want to take it home to their families. And you know, when we thought that was going to happen in Australia, we decided to run the GoFundMe and raise some money so that we could cook some meals and deliver it to the doctors and nurses up at the hospital, which we did uh, I think three times we took some some meals up to them. So, but again, that was paid for by the community. You know, the, it, we we've got the commercial kitchen, we've got the chefs that my head chef Paul was happy to come in and do the cooking, and then we just delivered it up to the to the hospital. BJ, you're incredibly humble, and our community is a better place for having someone like you in it. It's what makes community strong is people like you who are able to give yeah. back. I'm incredibly fortunate too, though, you know. I, I do have an amazing life, you know, in an amazing part of the world. So, I, you know, the humbleness is I'm thankful for what I've got, you know. Uh, for those people who don't know as well, in 2013 when BJ and Brooke got married, they didn't ask for gifts. They asked for people to donate money to the Sydney Children's Hospital Foundation. And I think you ended up raising over $7,000 that went to the Sydney Children's Hospital Foundation. Is that correct? Yeah, again, that was all my friends that donated. It didn't come out of my pocket. <laughs> yeah, again, I didn't need anything. Yeah, when you get married, people give you presents. We didn't need anything. We, we've got everything that we need. We had each other as well, and we thought it'd be a great way to start a, 
a family and a relationship together, our life together, to do something good. So, yeah, so all of our friends gave money and we bought some TVs to go around the kids' children's hospital. Again, Peter, you're very humble. Most people would not do I'm this. very lucky. I'm lucky. <laughs> I've got an amazing life, you know, fortunate life. So it's not humble. It's just I'm, I've got a lot of good things going on in my life, so. Well, thank you. Now, changing gears a tiny bit, Ramwick Council has been investigating as part of their nighttime economy, extended trading hours for small bars. What are your thoughts on this? Look, I think it's anything, anything to, to encourage the hospitality industry. I mean, the hospitality industry has been hammered the hardest in coronavirus. I know there's a lot of people out there that have been affected in different ways, but we were one of the industries that was completely shut down. So anything that can be done for that, I'm all for, I love it, I appreciate it. Coogee in particular, as I said, yeah, it goes through the the roller coaster and it's been bashed around a lot. And I think anything that we can do directly for Coogee, again, is awesome. Um, there are really no small bars in Coogee. You know, we're a restaurant. Um, there's the wine bar up the road, but I think there's still a restaurant. So we don't have any small bars per se. And I think we should have. I think that's what's missing in Coogee. But I think uh, investors, you know, business people are too scared because they know how hard Coogee is and, you know, you pay big rent um, and then you get all the extra focus and attention from council, police and from, from, from the media. So it scares a lot of people away. So there needs, to be, there needs to be a concerted effort from council and from the business people around the area to, to change that perception of Coogee and to increase investment in Coogee with things like that. So we close at midnight. Yeah, you know, I, I don't think I ever want to be a venue that stays open till three a.m. That's not the sort of venue we are. As I said, we attract a, an older sort of clientele a lot of the time, and most of us are ready for bed by midnight. You know, we don't want to sit up past. Some of us stay up a little bit later, Marjorie, but not all of us. But um, so yeah, so but but the more options that there are in Coogee would bring more people to Coogee, so the whole economy would get up better. And that doesn't, and, you know, and I know they're looking at other things other than just restaurants and bars as well, you know. So I'm all for any anything to promote the area and promote business. So if there were three things, though, that you think that council or state MPs like me could do to be able to improve Coogee as a destination uh, for businesses, whether or not they're restaurants or bars, what would those three things be? Look, I think we need more activations in the area. You know, I was president of the Chamber of Commerce when we started Taste of Coogee. And, uh, oh, no, sorry, I didn't start it, but I was I was. Bernadette's the driving force. So I don't want that to come across the wrong way. But, and I know how hard that's been throughout the time. And every year, it's not an easy thing to get done. But that's done by local businesses. You know, for, it's completely not for profit. And it's a battle. It's not an easy thing to get done every year, even just for approvals and support and things like that. You know, those are the sort of things that I think should be happening almost monthly here in Coogee. You know, every other, every other month, every other week, there should be something down in the park to, to encourage people to come down, especially in winter. Now, you see what Bondi does, and Bondi has their, their winter festival, they have the kite festival, they have the ice rink down on the beach, they get camels, you know, there's always things going on down in Bondi, and that's through the work of their Chamber of Commerce and the council working together. I mean, you were on the council at Waverley, you know all about what goes on down there, you know, whereas those things don't necessarily happen in Coogee, and I know that the Chamber is always facing a battle to get things done, but again, they're, they're volunteers, they're not getting paid to do that. So that's a lot of time. They can't organise something every weekend, but not only that, they're not allowed to anyway. So that would be the biggest thing. You know, like close down Coogee for, for a weekend, have 
have put something on, close the streets, have a night a night market, so a noodle market, do something, you know. I know Randwick Council does things, I love it, and they need to share it around the council, but why can't we have somebody specifically for Coogee that just looks at promoting Coogee? This is the jewel of the crown in the Randwick, of the Randwick Council, you know, so we should really be focusing on it. I've suggested things in the past, and it was with work from the boys around at the gym. We talked about putting a Coogee um, Sportsman's Walk of Fame, whether that be around Coogee Oval, uh, whether that be on the promenade at Coogee. So, you now because Coogee's produced a lot of great sportsmen, and something like that would attract people to come down as a tourist destination. Coogee has slowly become the end of the, it used to be the Bondi to Bronte Walk, it's now the Bondi to Coogee Walk. So, when people get here, let's do something. I mean, I, I like to think outside the square a little bit. I'd love to see a kid's water park down here because not all kids go in the ocean. Let them come down here and have a water park, in a, a, you know, a water area on the, in the park. Put some basketball courts down here in the park or in an area like Muscle Beach in Venice where people come down here and they can train, they can play basketball. You know, put some things down here to try and create a real hub down here so that it's, again, not just bars and restaurants, but it's a, it's a, it's a Sydney icon where people that come to Sydney will come down here and go, how cool is this? Yeah, and that's thinking outside the box, thinking outside the square, but how good would it be? That's fantastic. Some really great ideas there. Now, there's so much in the media and I've had a lot of first-hand dealings regarding the regulation specifically around noise restrictions and the impact that that is having on live music venues. We're seeing all across New South Wales live music venues shutting down because how restrictive this regulation is is what are your thoughts on this yeah look look i couldn't agree more you know even like just even from the starting point when we wanted to get live music and we had to change our license so there's so much red tape that you've got to go through you know so we used to have live music on every friday so we do it five nights a week right and we got investigated by liquor and gaming and racing and i actually had to go to court because they said we were running as a bar not a restaurant even though food was still available so I ended up in court, ended up in the district court where I actually won, but it still cost me $42,000 in legal fees to win my case. Also, why that whole time I was in communications with Gaming Racing about whether I needed a new license to put the live music on. Couldn't get an answer. So in the end, I ended up getting this new license. But again, there's another $8,000 in legal fees to get the license so that I can have entertainment um, as my primary person set of food. So that's that part of it. Then we've also got to get acoustic reporting done. Yeah, then we've got to go to council. So I need to need to put in DAs and things like that to go to council. So all there's all, and then then I get my regulation approved. I get my DA approved, and there's certain restrictions on how loud it can be at certain times, different levels away from speakers within in the venue. I mean, you almost need a PhD in working out what you can and can't do. That's to start with. You know, and then we've got to comply by it. You know, do I need to put double glazed windows in? I've even had police ask me if my DA says I, if I can have people lining up on the footpath outside to wait to get into my venue. You know, I've got to shut windows. My, my place, my venue faces the beach. So when you open the front windows to let cool air air in the middle of summer, the sound goes straight out onto the beach. Now, in the five years we've been here, we've had two complaints about noise. And on both times, it was because the band had just turned up a little bit. So we just turned it down. It was a manager with no issue. But we've still got to close all of our side windows at 10 p.m. at night. doesn't matter whether it's the middle of summer or the middle of winter. And, you know, that changes the atmosphere within the venue. So there's another regulation that we've got to comply with, even though we've had no complaints. So even the side windows, even when the side windows used to be open, the noise was never that bad. We never had any complaints from people. So it wasn't an issue. But, again, another regulation we've got to comply with. 
So, yeah, so the regulations are costly and also impact on the business as well. They don't, they don't look at it on a case-by-case basis. I mean, if you come and stand down at Coogee, you can really, you know exactly where my venue is and you know that it doesn't impact anyone because I don't have residents. If you threw some residents at me, imagine what, I'd have to, what hoops I'd have to jump through then to try, and, to try and put live music on. So, again, I'm one of the lucky ones. There's plenty of venues across Sydney that have a lot bigger issues because they have residents in a earshot or whatever, whatever it might be, you know. So, yeah, so it's expensive and it's also, it also makes it hard to do business that way. Do these regulations restrict what kind of live music you can have in your venue? So, yeah, obviously because we can only have a certain volume. So that, yeah, that restricts me going past really a two-piece band. You know, if I was going for a three-piece band, with a, with, you know, then all of a sudden it gets too noisy, so I can't do that. Again, I've got a smaller venue. If I, if I was a little bit bigger, then, yeah, I'd want to have bigger bands, you know. So it absolutely impacts us. But I have heard of, of other regulations where, where people are only allowed to have non-amplified music and things like that. So, again, what's the point of that? Now, BJ, before you go, we ask three tough questions to all of our guests. What is the best beach in the eastern suburbs? Where can you get the best coffee? And where do you get the best burger? Beach is tough. I've got to say, could you have an eye? But I'm a Bronte boy, so I've got to say Bronte. But then again, I live at Little Bay now, and we love going down a little Kongwon with the kids, or we've got a little bay. So I'm going to sit on the fence there and say four beaches. <laughs> best burger's got to be Little Jack Horner. Best coffee, I've got to say Little Jack Horner, but I'm actually not happy with our coffee. We're just about to change our coffee. So <laughs> stay tuned. We've got new coffee coming in the next few weeks, and then we're going to have the best coffee in the East and Suburbs. Well, look, I can attest your rail with cheese is to die for. So if for yeah. people who haven't had it, go down there and try it out. Now, yeah, my, BJ, chef's pretty, my chef's pretty proud of his burgers. <laughs> they are amazing. BJ, thank you for joining us on Coogee Voice. Thank you for inviting me. Very good to be here. Now, wasn't that an uplifting interview? I, for one, would be very keen on a sportsman's walk of fame at Coogee Beach. Now, if you'd like to check out Little Jack Horner, head to littlejackhorner.com.au. Thanks for listening to Coogee Voice.